From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. After months of speculation, we have a new head of the Reserve Bank. Phil Lowe, who's presided over a dozen rises in interest rates, will leave when his term ends in September. He'll be replaced by his deputy, Michelle Bullock, who's been with the bank nearly four decades. Michelle Bullock becomes the first woman to head the bank in its history. Today, Treasurer Jim Chalmers joins us to talk about the new appointment. Jim Chalmers, thanks for talking with us so quickly after the announcement. Why have you chosen Michelle Bullock? Well, thanks for the chance to have another chat, Michelle. Uh, Michelle Bullock is a terrific economist, but also a really accomplished and respected leader. And her appointment really is the best combination of experience and expertise, as well as a fresh leadership perspective at the bank. It's also an historic appointment, the first woman ever to lead uh, the Reserve Bank in its 63-year history. Uh, So Michelle will become the the ninth governor of the Reserve Bank, and she will take up the role on the 18th of September, and the government is really proud to appoint her. So you've also got your top economic bureaucrats still in place. They were on the list, of course, but is this the best of all worlds? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of speculation about, uh, you know, two of the really quite remarkable public servants of their generation, Stephen Kennedy at Treasury and Jenny Wilkinson at Finance. I have a mountain of respect for both of them. Uh, And this is the best of all worlds. Michelle Bullock is the best person to take the Reserve Bank forward into the future. And Stephen Kennedy remains at Treasury and Jenny Wilkinson at Finance. And because... um, Uh, We are entering another difficult period for our economy and for the global economy. I think it matters a great deal to have three people of their character and calibre in the three key positions, which will help uh, the country, most importantly, but also the government navigate this global uncertainty that we're confronting right now. The new governor will be implementing the changes after the review of the bank. But one observation of that review, one problem was groupthink there. Michelle Bullock has been part of the group for nearly four decades. She's a fresh face in the governor position, but is she fresh enough? I think so. I mean, Michelle Bullock will bring a fresh leadership perspective to uh, the governorship of the Reserve Bank, but also, and, and maybe this isn't you know, obvious to everyone, but but also Michelle has played a really thoughtful and considered and constructive role in the Reserve Bank review itself. Uh, and as I've come to work with her and know her well, I'm really confident that one of the best things about this appointment is the way that her gravitas, her heft, her relationship with the board, her relationship with the broader economic community will help us Uh, bed down and implement the recommendations of that really important review. And that was a big part uh, of our considerations in in naming her today and and, uh, asking the Cabinet to agree to her appointment. Do you expect that monetary policy will change much under her? Well, I want to make this really clear, Michelle. I mean, I, I cherish the independence of the Reserve Bank and everything I've tried to do with this RBA review and even this appointment uh, is to invest in the independence of the bank rather than undermine it. And so this decision to appoint Michelle Bullock is not about any one monetary policy decision or another. I still don't preempt or second guess decisions taken independently by the Reserve Bank. They will make their decisions independently. Uh, the government's focused on our part of all of this, which is to take some of the edge off these cost of living pressures without adding to 
inflation and that's what our economic plan is all about. How do you think the overall operation of the bank will change in light of the review? Well, I think one of the the most thoughtful parts uh, of the Reserve Bank review, which is a a first-class document, uh, and Renee Fry-McKibben and Carolyn Wilkins and Gordon DeBrow deserve the country's thanks for the way that they tackled this review. It is, in my view, a very comprehensive and intelligent piece of work. And and one of the big focuses is how do we make sure that we get the culture and the the institution itself right, so that it's the world's best central bank. Uh, And I think having a fresh leadership perspective there will be important. That's not to in any way uh, run down or diminish the the really quite extraordinary contribution that Phil Lowe has made for more than four decades there. Uh, And I mean it when I say that Phil Lowe goes with the government's respect Uh, the government's gratitude, and also with dignity. I mean, he has carried himself impeccably throughout this. I speak with him frequently. I've known him a long time. And on a personal level, uh, I have a lot of respect and regard for him. And so the bank will change when the leadership of the bank changes. But I think more importantly than that, or in addition to that at least, it will change because of the work that we've put into it via the Reserve Bank Review to make sure that we get the best possible bank to confront the challenges of the future. Well, Phil Lowe has copped an enormous amount of criticism over recent months as interest rates have risen. I can't remember any previous governor uh, being in the hot seat so much. Do you think the critics have been too hard on him? Oh, what I've tried to do when it comes to the criticism of decisions taken by the, by the Reserve Bank is to, to make it clear uh, that the Reserve Bank takes a decision about interest rates and then they defend that in the public realm, and that's appropriate. You know, no institution should be beyond criticism or beyond reproach, and that's true of the Reserve Bank as well. And so where there is criticism, it should be respectfully levelled and it will be respectfully responded to. I think that's a good model. And same for the government, frankly. I mean, I've got my own job and I'm focused on doing it. You know, we've done done so much uh, over the course of the last 14 months. I've got my job to do. They've got a job to do. I defend my decisions and actions and they defend theirs. Talking more broadly, the latest US inflation figure, which was out this week, shows it down in that country to 3%. The inflation problem is subsiding globally. What are the implications for Australia? I noticed the ANZ today said in a statement that it's expecting an extended pause in rates. I was really encouraged by the inflation number in the US, uh, not because I think that the Americans are necessarily out of the woods, but because inflation is moderating there, as inflation is moderating here in Australia as well, and that's a good thing. We'd like it to moderate quicker. Obviously, a lot of eyes are on the American economy. It has proven itself to be remarkably resilient and robust, but there are still risks in the US. There are risks in China. Europe's in recession. The Kiwis are in recession and others. And so... What the economists describe as risks being tilted to the downside really means that there's still enough global uncertainty to trouble us that we monitor very closely because there will be implications for us. Uh, Our economy is slowing. Uh, There's every chance it's slowing considerably because of a combination of the global factors but also those rate rises which began before the election. So that makes for a longer-term pause? Well, again, I I don't want to sort of preempt the decisions that the Reserve Bank Board might take into the future, but no doubt they will weigh all of that up uh, and they'll come to their decision independently. You said in a speech this week that responsible economic management and compassion are complementary, not in conflict. 
but interpretations of that speech differed. Some said you were saying you were open to more cost of living relief. Others said you were holding the line against that. Can you just clarify for us? Yeah, of course. I mean, the point that I was making was for too long, and this has been a frustration of mine, you know, the commentary has made it sound like you can be responsible economic managers or you can help people through tough times. And what we've shown as a government, and we're proud of this, we've been able to dramatically improve the budget position at the same time as we provide cost of living help. And so what we've focused on uh, is not new cost of living measures, but rolling out billions of dollars of cost of living help at the moment, whether it's cheaper early childhood education, cheaper medicines, taking some of the edge off electricity bills, rent assistance and the like. That's our focus, rolling that out. But the point that I made and the reason why there was that commentary, Michelle, in the aftermath of that speech is that if you have a budget in much better nick and you're rolling out cost of living help, it actually provides a more solid foundation down the track if things deteriorate faster than you anticipated to do more if you want to. But that's not our focus. We're not working up new cost of living measures. We're rolling out uh, what we've announced over the course of the last two budgets. But a much stronger budget makes us more resilient to some of these global uncertainties that we've been talking about. Just finally, you're a Queenslander. What's your prediction for tomorrow's Fadden by-election? Oh, I mean, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult. I mean, I can't, I don't think anyone really expects, despite the fact that we've got a wonderful candidate and Letitia Del Fabro, I don't think anybody expects that seat to change hands. And that's because uh, by-elections are good for oppositions rather than for governments. And that's been a rock solid blue ribbon liberal LMP seat for, I think, all of my lifetime. And so, you know, we've got realistic expectations about it. I'll be handing out how to vote cards with Letitia. I'll be down there supporting a really wonderful local nurse. But uh, I think our, our expectations of Fadden are pretty well tempered. Jim Chalmers, thanks for talking with us today. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back again soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.